0: If you will join me in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, my sermon this morning is called A Healthy Church Body, 1 Corinthians 12, and we will uh, begin in verse 12, and I had intended on going to the end of the chapter, but um, we have a lot to cover, so it will probably go into next Lord's Day and we'll just go until we stop today, I don't know where that will be, so we'll... Keep tabs on the clock so you're not here till 2. Your keywords this morning for our worshipers in training are body, part, and community. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 31. We'll read in just a moment. If you recall, as was mentioned by Pastor Steve last week, chapters 12 through 14 are a discussion by the Apostle Paul on spiritual gifts. What what healthy looks like in the church. How God designed His body to function. And so, in all of this, Paul is continuing along in his correction of the Corinthians and the mess they've made of the church. A few things that we've already looked at. Remember, the Corinthians were not portraying proper, a proper image of Christ in the world to the community around them. They were very immature in their faith in many ways. They were engaged in immorality, selfishness, pride. Some of the teaching that was coming from the Corinthian church was heretical. They were divisive in every way. They were enamored with human philosophy. They tolerated sin in their midst. They were suing each other. They were gluttons and drunkards. They were sexually immoral. They had allowed some pagan worship practices in their homes and gatherings. They dishonored the Lord's Supper. And now they are fighting over who has greater and what they perceived to be more important spiritual gifts. So there was absolute chaos in the church, and Paul continues to write to them to give them much needed correction. And this discussion on spiritual gifts is really uh, a really answering the question, what is the church? As we look at spiritual gifts being worked out in the church, that's really what we're answering is what is the church and how does the church function As one unit. And as we all know, the church is not a specific building or place or event, although I don't think it's wrong to describe the church as such. The church is, ultimately though, a people. People living life together with Jesus at the center Jesus knitting our lives together, changing our lives, working through one another so that each person is blessed and more people meet Jesus. That's our mission. That is our desire. So the church is a community of people living life together around the person and work of Jesus Christ. And that plays itself out in the gifts that God has given to each of us. Now in this lengthy portion of the scriptures verse 27 is really the main point all of it sort of hinges on what he says here in this summary verse in verse 27 it says now you are the body of christ and individually members of it So everything will beg the question as we read through this, how do I personally belong in the church? How do I relate to the body of Christ in what God has gifted me to do? So uh, I hope to get through three points uh, this morning. The first is that we will look at the unity of the body. The unity of the body of Christ. Let's look at verses 12 and 13 together. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one Spirit." So we see this illustration by the Apostle Paul here that the church, when it's functioning properly, is supposed to be like a body. So every single person in the church, and by that we're assuming every Christian, is a part of the body. Notice, there are no distinctions, and in fact, he makes it very clear that there are no distinctions by pointing out some that might be drawn That this is in no relation whatsoever to one's ethnicity, to one's background, their socioeconomic status, who their parents were. These things have no significance whatsoever in our unity. So we know of some who have a very rough past perhaps in their life, right? Drugs, alcoholism, hedonism to the core... They made a string of poor decisions in their life. Maybe cussed like a sailor. And then there's some on the other side who've never cussed at all. Maybe invented Christian cuss words. Their parents were always in church. So much, in fact, that they were practically born in a pew singing hymn number 246. Okay, so we have these distinctions coming together in the body of Christ. Some have college credit hours from every school in the nation, and some never even got past the fifth grade. Okay, in Christ, these distinctions are meaningless because of our oneness and our unity in Christ. And the only meaning they have is to display the beauty of that unity that we share. It's the work of the Holy Spirit who reconciles us to God, unites us together in Christ. So there are no super-Christians, just different gifts. We'll get into those gifts in just a bit. But at its foundation, the church is a community of equality, a community of oneness. Brothers and sisters together who were once enemies of God who continue to be sanctified as sinners who are justified by the work of Christ. And in the eyes of God, all of us have more in common than we see. We are all created in God's image and all in need of a Savior. So let's look again at the beginning of verse 12 for just as the body is one and has many members okay so let's stop right there like a human body is christ's church as you think of the body you think of more of an organism than you would an organization so it's it's living it's breathing it's changing All the vital systems are held together in the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit unifying us in Christ. So don't think organization or business. Okay, the body of Christ is not like a car. Okay, it's not a highly structured thing with all the right parts and pieces and the frame and the comfy seats and everything. It's not worked on by super trained, tremendous, Mechanics and technicians and driven by a hotshot driver. Okay, it's not structured in that way. But more so, alive and active, living, breathing, changing, being molded, being transformed. All the members of the body working together. And this is one of the great joys of The church is that everyone, as a part of the body, is important. And when everyone is connected, everyone is doing their part, everyone is working together for a singular mission, the cause is for the worship of God with joy. And it leads us to love our neighbors, to see transformed lives, to send and be sent for the spread of the Gospel through Jesus Christ. So how does this work? How do we achieve this unity, this oneness, where the great desire of the heart is to be working out the Gospel with one another? Paul tells us it is something that God does through the Holy Spirit. All Christians have been baptized by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we are united to one another because the same Holy Spirit that is within me dwells within every other Christian. Now, this idea of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I'm not going to say much about this, but a lot has been made of this. Um, And some have concluded that there would be a sort of second baptism of the Holy Spirit. Or a higher experience of the Christian life. In other words, a baptism of the Holy Spirit that is distinct or different from our justification, our salvation in Christ. That we're saved as believers and then later we experience some sort of baptism of the Holy Spirit. But what this does is it ends up creating different levels of Christians. So we're not going to go into the whole argument against this other than to say that this is a much more serious error than it might seem. Because to say that one has not been baptized in the Holy Spirit is to say, according to the Scriptures, that they're not a Christian at all. And to say a Christian can be a Christian without having received the Holy Spirit is completely contrary to the Word of God. And in this context, if some had the Holy Spirit and some did not, there would be no unity whatsoever. What would bind them together? And so we understand the baptism of the Holy Spirit not being some extra- ordinary experience of a more mature, more sanctified Christian, but rather the experience of being baptized in the Holy Spirit, happening when we are made new creations in Christ. So Paul is commenting on this, saying that if we are Christians, it is the Holy Spirit that causes us to be unified. And we can think of this on several very practical levels. For example, the Scriptures. The Holy Spirit inspired the writing of the Bible. And as you and I read and study the Bible, the Holy Spirit illumines the truths of the Scriptures and convicts us of sin and leads us to repentance and leads us to be reconciled to one another. And this is all the work of the Holy Spirit working Within each of us as believers in the body of Christ. And so Paul is saying unity comes not because all of us are alike. Not because all of us have the same interests and the same things in mind, but because we are all filled with the same Spirit. We are all led by the same Spirit. We're all reading the same Holy Spirit-inspired Bible, all convicted of sin by the same Holy Spirit, all loving one another with the same love poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit is a great unifier of the body of Christ. So when we have love for one another, when we are convicted of our sin, when we see the truth of the Scriptures more clearly, when we're transformed all the more by the Gospel, when we have a desire to serve and love others, all of this is by the enablement or the empowerment of God the Holy Spirit. So He baptized us, or He immersed us in Himself, making us Christians. And then from there, we continue to drink from the well of kindness that enables us to live a new life increasingly more patterned after the person and work of Jesus Christ. So we see that unity is absolutely impossible without the Holy Spirit. But with the Holy Spirit, unity is not only possible, but it's the natural result of our following after God together. So unity is a very, very important aspect of understanding the church and what a healthy church body looks like. The second piece that we will look at is diversity. Just because the body is unified does not mean that the body is uniform. There is great diversity in the body of Christ, and that's Paul's point throughout this section. God gives different gifts in the body for, we saw in verse 7, the common good. God gives different gifts in the body for the common good. So we'll see some gifts worked out very publicly. Other gifts will be worked out, and some most people will never even know about them. But they are all, although diverse equally as important for the good of the church. And I would argue in some instances that some of those less public or less known gifts being worked out may be more beneficial in some ways than the public work of the Gospel. And so as we look at gifts... And as Paul is instructing the Corinthians, we need to see that God gifts each individually according to what He has designed for them to work out for the common good of the church. And it's not a competition. It's not one wanting what another has and they are not gifted to do, and coveting after that, and therefore rendering themselves ineffective because they are not serving according to the gifts that God has given We are not all designed to function in the same way. So we have great unity because of the Holy Spirit, but not uniformity. So let's talk about that. You know, there are some people who think that they have absolutely pegged what a Christian is, right? And then they meet certain individuals, like many of the people in our congregation, our body right here, and they meet them and they talk to them and then all of a sudden they say, oh, you, you hate sin and you love Jesus and you study your Bible and pray and repent and all these things, that is not what I expected from you. And so people draw distinctions based on what they have in their mind of what a Christian looks like physically and what everything around them is ordered like. And then they understand as they talk to them the transforming work of the gospel in their lives and they completely get their understanding of what a Christian is transformed. Now, Pastor Steve has rightly spoken before on some of the dangers of things like Facebook. But I want to go on the other end of this and say, in many ways, what a great blessing it has been. I have no less than a dozen times received emails from people that I've connected with who were old uh, friends from school or people from my community where I grew up. And they, uh, they contact me and say, um, it looks as though things are slightly different in your life than they were when we first knew you. What has happened? <laughs> what a great opportunity to share the Gospel, the transforming work of Jesus Christ in my life. And so those things can be used, can be redeemed by God. We can proclaim, even to those we may not have seen for 15 years, of the great work of God in our lives. So, even amongst our own body, as we look around, there is great diversity in how we look, where we're from, how we got here, what our past is, and on and on and on. But, there is great unity on so much more. Because we're using the diversity that God has given us for the common good of the body to glorify Christ. So we see now how our unity and our diversity work together. Let's look at verse 14. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. So, just like your body with many parts... It's the same way with the church. There are many parts and they're all different and they all have different function. It's a good thing that your pinky is not your nose, right? So in the church, different people have different gifts with a different part to play. He goes on with this idea, verse 15, If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less of the part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? Okay, so we are tracking with Paul's very clear description here. Two things I want to point out in this understanding of diversity. One is a diversity in who we are as individuals. So within the church, we see those who are black, those who are white, those who are young, those who are older, uh, those who are rich, those who are living off of Top Ramen, those who are highly educated, and are, uh, uh, or those who have gone through the school of hard knocks in their life. Okay. There are all kinds of people. There are all kinds of styles and tastes and colors and backgrounds and we all come together. What are we all doing together? By the world's standards, we should be meeting together with all these differences for a knife fight. We should not all be hanging out with each other and inviting each each other in our homes and sharing our life and sharing the deepest parts of our hearts with one another. According to... The sinful nature of the world, that should not happen. For crying out loud, some of my best friends, and I say this because one of them's here, are black hip hop artists. <laughs> They're rappers. Me, I like reading and gardening and watching birds out my back window. <laughs> How does that happen? How does that work? The Holy Spirit. There is great diversity amongst the body of Christ. And it is beautiful. It is a picture of what is to come. Revelation 5, John tells us, As he looked at the throne, Behold, before the throne, He saw every tongue, every tribe, every people, and every nation. And there weren't little sections with a sign that says, If you are... Uh, if you are from South Georgia and you're white, you come over here. And if you're from Asia, you come over here. And if you're from here, and on and on and on. They were all together, dressed in white, worshiping the King of Glory. And so the diversity that we share in our differences in the body of Christ is a great picture of what's to come. It's a great desire that I have to see the body of Christ more and more and more reflecting what we will see before the throne above. So our differences should lead to division and hatred and sin and prejudice, but by the work of the Holy Spirit, we can say, I love Jesus, you love Jesus, we're brothers, we're sisters, all is well, and I love you. And so if you walk toward Jesus and I walk toward Jesus, we get closer together and we're all the more unified. It's a beautiful thing, right? Imagine if we were all the same. Imagine a room full of me. That's not pretty. But I will say you're a lot more like me than you might care to admit, and I'll hit on that in a little bit. So one is our diversity in who we are as individuals. Secondly, is our diversity in our gifts. Let me give you an example of this in our own church body. From the first car that drives on this property on Sunday morning to the last car that leaves, I can count about, give or take, 40 people who will be serving in a bunch of different ways. 40 people. And some of them you'll never know about. So just think of all the things that go into what we do on one given Sunday morning. The bulletin in your hand had to be prepared. There's musicians who lead your music. There's words on the screen. There's a sound system being run. There's recordings being made. There's video being shot. Sunday school rooms are filled and being taught and the nursery's being run and someone's handing out flyers to you and greeting you as you walk in and there's people collecting an offering and reading scriptures and preaching and praying and making coffee and food and praying for you before you ever get here in the morning And add to that various ministry things that are ongoing throughout the week and upcoming events that are being prepared for and outreach that's being done as a body functioning together. And then from time to time we spend time cleaning together and mowing and working on the finances and changing light bulbs and going to small groups and opening our homes and meeting with women and meeting with men and doing a yard sale to raise money for outreach. All of these things are being worked out in the body of Christ because we're identifying gifts that God has given us and using them for the common good. Also in this many are embracing the call to love their neighbors engaging their neighbors engaging their coworkers or establishing regular hangouts and connecting with families who hobby together loving those around them for the sake of the gospel utilizing gifts for the common good to advance the kingdom so there's a lot going on. There is a tremendous amount going on. And as we look around, we say there's not, there's not a great number of people here, but however many it is, amongst us, there is an incredible amount of ministry happening. Whether it's one-to-one or a large group meeting together, there are great things, good things going on. But I want to make three comments on this. First, we must be careful because just because a church has a lot of activity going on does not necessarily mean that they are fulfilling the mission of Christ. Sometimes churches can get to a place where they seek to be busy so that they never actually have to really do ministry. We're engaging others with the gospel in word and deed. And this looks like having ten meetings on the church calendar every week and the congregation votes monthly on the purchase of office supplies and we schedule events because there's a hole in the schedule that needs to be filled. There's an empty day and we can't have that. Okay, so just because there's a lot of activity does not necessarily mean automatically, that the mission of the church is being fulfilled. That must be evaluated. Secondly, this is why we're very, very careful about establishing programs. Because when we start to do that, we seek to plug people into those things that may not necessarily have people with the right gifts to do it. Remember, church is we want to see as an organism, not as an organization. It moves, it changes based on who the Lord brings and and takes away and, and how all of that gets changed is based on the gifts that we have. So it's more about a process of making space for gifts to be developed and worked out instead of a program for round holes when we have a bunch of squares and rectangles and triangle pegs to try and fit in. I'm not saying it's wrong to organize and to have some structure, but we always need to be sensitive to who we are as a body of Christ. What are our gifts? How can those fit together to do effective ministry, fulfilling the mission of the church? And thirdly, because of the diversity in our gifts, we must be very careful when we assume that others should be as passionate as us about specific things. I may be very passionate about some area of ministry, and you're not necessarily so, and that's okay. Let me give you an example. Some of you absolutely love vacation Bible school. Others of you would rather forget it altogether. Some of you love to get together and prepare and plan for months and months and go and stay up all night for an entire week at summer camp. And some of you have never seen how all that works out. Now, do we want to be supportive and helpful? Yes, absolutely. But you may not be 100% fired up about every single thing that goes on. And you may not even participate, and that's okay. There are certain things that we are commanded in the Scriptures to do together. We must worship together. We must have life on life together. Loving each other, loving our neighbors, and serving with our gifts. Some of this looks the same for all of us. Corporate worship, gathering on the Lord's Day together to worship. That will look the same for all of us. But for some of us, working these things out will be very different. How you love your neighbor is different from how I will love my neighbor. And that is a good thing. So you may have a, I don't know, NASCAR ministry, whatever that would look like. I love you. (laughs) I'll help you serve however I can. But at the end of the day, don't expect me to do something crazy to promote your NASCAR ministry because I don't have any clue about that stuff. But I love you in Jesus. I promote our... Diversity, I embrace that because it's the Holy Spirit working to bring us together. And I rejoice in your ability to serve in a way and in a place that I would not necessarily do so well in. I saw this very vividly when I was in Africa over this last trip that I took. We came to understand that to engage others with the Gospel, it was a whole lot easier to encourage and support those who already know the language, who already like the food, who already wear the clothes, who already know the background, and have already established relationships with these people. For me to come in for ten days and get busy with the Gospel is very, very difficult. But we can encourage, we can support, and we must do that with one another as we embrace the diversity of the body and the gifts that we have third let's look at our interdependence let's look at verse 18 as it is god arranged the members in the body each one of them as he chose if all were a single member where would the body be as it is there are many parts yet one body which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, and that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. We need each other. I'm sorry, you need me, and I need you. God has uniquely gifted each one of us for the common good of each other. And when one of us fails to engage in ministry with our gifts, the entire body suffers. If you're an arm and you just stop working, if you're an arm and you just stop serving because you want instead to be a spleen, even though you're not remotely close to having any spleen-like qualities, I don't know what that would be, but I know it's part of the body, then the entire body suffers. Everybody needs everybody, and everybody is important. We see this all throughout the Scriptures. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. Let us not give up meeting together. Why? What is the purpose of doing that? To stir one another up toward love and good deeds. There is a work that we do with one another in that. We're commanded to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. How can we do that if we are not sharing our lives? Older men are called to pour their lives into younger men. Older women to pour their lives into younger women. Imagine if we... Just that, if we took that very seriously across the board, imagine what we would look like as a body. Parents pouring into their children, older men looking for, intentionally looking for younger men to pour their lives into, younger men looking for older, more godly men to learn from. And this is difficult because usually older, more godly men are very humble and so they don't think they have anything to offer. Brothers, I want to tell you, you have a great deal to offer. And if you're not doing that, if you're not pouring into the lives of younger men and ladies into younger women, then we're a weaker body for it. Use all that God has given you to encourage, to build up to stir one another toward love and good deeds. And the more that we work together, the more that we serve together, the more that gets done, the more things in the body get better, and the more you and the more whoever it is you're serving with learn. And so we see from this, in the church, there are no spectators. unfortunately i think we can probably look at any local church and i, I sort of thought of this in terms of, of of what we see in a soccer game okay so you have your you have players on the field they're working hard they've practiced they've got their they're running their guts out to win the game they're doing everything that they can to bring their team along to victory Okay, also in that, we have perhaps an injured bench, those who've been broken, those who need some time away, those who need some time to rest and be restored. You also have spectators, those who want to come and watch and see it all and cheer and leave and never actually be involved in the game itself. And of course, there are referees, those who run up and down the field and blow the whistle and point out infractions, but are never actually playing the game themselves. And so we see this in the church. There are people who pour their lives into serving others. And we have many, many people in our congregation who do that work hard, serve well. For the common good. From time to time, we will have those who are in need of some recovery. Someone in need of a break from serving in particular areas. They've been broken. They've been wounded. There are some very difficult things they're working through. We need to encourage them and help them along so that they can get back on the field as soon as possible. But unfortunately, there are always spectators and referees in any local church as well. Some who just want to observe. Never getting involved. Never putting themselves forward. Never engaging And some of them turn to become referees. They want to point out issues, want to point out problems, want to point out infractions, but never actually do anything to make the change. Never offer solutions, but only point to problems. And so, any local church, you'll see this vast diversity And so, even in our own body, we see that many are serving very, very hard unto the Lord. And we are only able to do and to be what we are because of your service. Because you're on the field doing the hard work. And there's a few of you here who need to plug in. And some of you may see parts of the church and say, I don't like that. It's, it's broken. It needs to get fixed. Well, great. You might just have the gift in that area and you're able to discern the problem. Now, what are you going to do to fix it? You are part of the family of faith. Don't sit and watch. Engage. Engage. All of this requires two important things, and we'll be done. First is that we have authenticity in our relationships, and we are very transparent with one another. You and I are who we are by the grace of God. And if we can't be real with each other, if we cannot be safe, if this is not a safe environment for us, then we have no hope of any genuine relationships in this life. The church is not Camelot, where everyone looks from the outside and it looks great and beautiful and perfect. But once you get on the inside, you find out that it's a great big mess. That nothing is functioning well. That no one likes anyone, and there's going to be this great uh, there's going to be this great overthrow of the kingdom. That's a joke. And I want none of it. We must be transparent. When we are broken, when we are hurt, when we are in need of encouragement, we need to make that known to one another. And the only way we can do that is as we share our lives together. And it becomes uncomfortable at times to do that. But if we're unified truly by the Holy Spirit, it will come. God will do that work in and among us by His grace. We must take off the mask. We must take off the robe. We must be transparent with each other. And secondly, all of this requires a right understanding of the gospel. A lot of times people don't use their spiritual gifts because they feel inadequate. They feel like they're not good enough. Well, you're not. And I'm not. None of us are. None of us are good enough to serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But He's called us to it and He's gifted us to do it. Therefore, we must. The Gospel is not about cleaning yourself up and then running to Jesus. It will never happen. We must have a right understanding of the cross. All of us, every one of us, is terribly messed up on some level. And so we run to the cross when we're messed up, not away from it. The cross reminds us That God knows that we're not perfect and that we will mess it up. Sometimes very badly. But He still loves you. And He has still given you a righteousness so you don't have to earn your own. And you can live a life freed up to serve others, to utilize your gifts, to make much of Jesus for the common good. So to utilize the gifts that God has given you, we must understand, we don't do these things to earn something. We don't do these things so that God will be more happy with us. We don't do these things as a means of boasting, as a means of righteousness. All of this has already been provided for us in Christ Jesus. We do these things to advance the Gospel in obedience to God who has rescued us, who has brought us from darkness into light. We serve with our gifts, understanding that we are broken, that we need restoration and transformation daily. And we do that together with our lives open to one another for the common good of the body, for the glory of Christ and the joy of His people. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You, God, that You have given us great truth to hold on to, to be encouraged by, to be challenged with. Father, I thank You for Your people. I thank You that in the body of Christ that there are none who come without gifts that there are none who come without the ability to serve in whatever way You have uniquely worked in them for the common good of Your people, for the good of the world, for the redemption of souls and the restoration of all creation. Father, thank You. Thank You for our unity. Thank You for the unity that we enjoy. The unity that we share with one another. Thank you for our diversity. Thank you, Father, that we don't all come together expecting that we're the same, Father. What a great joy and privilege we have to learn from one another, to be sharpened by each other, to grow together, to love others whom before you saved us we never thought we would ever be able to love. You are good to us, Father. You are gracious. Thank you for giving us Christ. Thank You for the work of the Holy Spirit to unite us together. Thank You for designing Your church that we must depend on one another and that when we fail each other, which will inevitably happen, that You do a work in our hearts to be reconciled because we are reconciled to Christ. Thank You, Lord, for the joy of being in Your covenant family with Your people, that we can share life, we can weep together, we can rejoice together, we can live together unto death. You are good and gracious and faithful, and we love You, Father. We look forward, we eagerly anticipate being with all the saints of the church before the throne of Christ from every tongue, tribe, people, and nation. Jesus, come quickly. We long to see You face to face, with no tears, with no brokenness, with no pain. Only infinite joy. We love You, we thank You, and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.